0: Welcome to the Troy Chi Alpha Podcast, reconciling students to Christ, transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. In today's episode, you'll be listening to our sermon delivered at this week's Wednesday night worship. Jordan, for leading worship for us tonight. Um, guys, I, I missed seeing you guys last week. Uh, I'm sorry I was uh, out sick, but appreciate Richard uh, preaching uh, at the last minute for me, and so it's good to be back with you guys tonight. It's good to see—well, I can't see your faces, but I'm sure uh, some of you are smiling. Some of you, I don't know, Like don't make any more bad jokes or anything. So anyways, uh, tonight I want to talk to you about uh, consecration and um, you know, I probably am going to interchange the word consecrated or consecration with the word holiness uh, back and forth, and, and we're going to maybe try to define that word a little bit tonight, and, um, and uh, we'll be looking at, at Luke chapter 9 and Joshua chapter 3 a little bit later as we talk about um, this idea of being consecrated or being holy. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I, f- I feel like in my mind I have this idea of holiness that is uh, kind of unattainable. Like, I'm never going to be there. I'm never going to be clean enough, never going to be good enough. And so, um, I think that it's part of holiness. It's part of what it means to be consecrated. But, but I think there's another part that we're going to try to get to uh, tonight. Um, I'd like to start with a story. Is, is that okay if I tell you guys a story? So, um, we've got a picture of my daughter, Riley, we're going to put up here, right? Okay. This is us. This is our, she had her first uh, hunting trip um, over, over our, our Christmas quarantine break. And um, anyways, she, she likes hanging out with her dad in the woods. Um, so Riley's eight, and um, we try as much as possible to eat dinner together as a family. At least when I'm not here with you guys, we usually sit down and eat dinner together as a family. And it's just kind of what we do. We ask the, our girls, we have a eight-year-old and a four-year-old, uh, what was your day like? And, and usually they'll tell us something that was really exciting or maybe someone was mean to them or, you know, their teacher did something that they didn't like, and they just, you know, they just say the craziest things. Like, you never know what kids are going to say, and you never know what stories you're going to hear at the dinner table. Well, you know, Riley is, she has had a lot of clubs that she's made uh, at her school. Uh, the most recent was the Critter Club. As you can tell, she likes being outdoors, and so uh, at recess, recess time, she would go catch lizards and snakes and bugs and, um, gross her teachers out, and that was kind of fun for her, and so we would hear her stories. Um, so I didn't really couldn't have planned this better. I had another story I was going to tell, but, but last night, uh, we were sitting at the dinner table, and it was the girls' first day back to school um, since, like, Thanksgiving or something ridiculous. Um, they had been, like, in quarantine, and then we had Christmas break, and then they went virtual for another two weeks, and so my girls really, really love school. They're really social, and they really just don't like being home with me that much, and so they were really dying to go back to school. And so we're sitting at the dinner table, and I said, Riley, how was your first day back at school? Was it exciting? And she says, yeah, I started a new club today. I said, like, okay, this is going to be fun. And and to be honest, I was ex- I was expecting cra- something crazy, like you just never know what the kid's going to say. Um, but I, I, I was really speechless. And she starts telling us. She said, well, Dad, I, I started a Christian club during my— free play time at school today. And so something you need to understand, so Riley's eight, and she knows more about God in the Bible than I would say most eight-year-olds do, because her dad is like constantly just like feeding it to her, Um, right? She could probably defend the Trinity uh, against uh, modalism better than most. And so she, she has this problem, though, with understanding the difference between a missionary and a Christian. I tried to explain what a missionary was one time, and apparently I did a terrible job, Um, and so now she thinks the word Christian and the word missionary are interchangeable. And then I realized that's not a bad idea. So I just stopped trying to correct her. But like in her mind, like when we take up an offering for missions, she doesn't say we took up an offering for missions. She says we took up an offering for Christians who are telling people about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. That works. So we just, we just quit fighting that fight. All right. She's eight. She's got plenty of time to figure it out. Okay. So in, what you need to understand is in Riley's little mind, when she says I started a Christian club at school today, what she means is I started a missionary club at school today. And so I was like, oh, I, I got to hear about this. So I was like, Riley, so what do you do at your club? She says, well, she says the, the job of Christians is to teach people about God and teach them to follow. And, you know, most kids in my school, they don't know the Bible stories that you teach me. And so I decided that I'm going to take half of my recess time every day and I'm going to teach them a Bible story, and I'm going to pray for them, and she said, today we had four kids that came to our Christian club, and I taught them about Jacob and Esau, and she starts telling, she, and she's like, but I forgot this part of the story, and she starts kind of beating herself up, because she had forgotten part of the story, and just felt like she didn't do a good enough job, and I'm just, I'm sitting there, like, you know, beaming with pride, because like, okay, she gets it, she's and I'm like, you can't beat yourself up because you forgot, you know, which one was Jacob and which one is Esau. And I was like, most adults don't know the difference. And most adults would not give up their free time to tell their friends Bible stories. And I was just really blown away with how easy, how no- it seemed, it was weird. that For an 8-year-old, it seemed normal that she would give up free play time to tell her friends Bible stories and pray for her. Now, maybe I'm telling you a story because I'm a really proud dad, and that's probably part of it, but I think there's maybe something uh, we can learn here about what it means to live a holy life or a consecrated life. Now, just Riley is not a saint, right? Um, sometimes she does things that she shouldn't. Sometimes she disobeys. Sometimes she, she pitches fits and, you know, those things. She's she's not a, a perfect child by any stretch, And and that's kind of What I think I've always wrestled with, with my idea of holiness, because I think there are these two parts of holiness. Um, There's this one part of holiness that's kind of like being clean, being free from sin, being free from guilt. Uh, And to be honest, that's always really what I've focused on. And I've never really felt like I quite measured up because I don't know if you've ever like tried to ever like just never sin at all. But like I fail every time I try. And, and, and it's this constant struggle of, I don't know, sometimes just feeling like I'm not holy enough. But there's this other part of what it means to be consecrated or holy that I want us to look at tonight a little bit. Now, I've been reading uh, in, in the Torah for maybe the last month or so. So like the first five books of the Bible, the books of, of Moses, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you, any of you guys ever tried to read these books, they're, they're not the easiest read in the world, right? So I'm in the middle, like I'm in like Leviticus like 18 right now. And it's all these laws, and it's super redundant. And sometimes it just makes my head hurt to try to read it, if I'm just being real honest with you. But, but it really has helped me understand what holiness is and what holiness is not. And so I'm going to, uh, I hate to oversimplify, like the whole book of Exodus and Leviticus, uh, but here's, here's the, the oversimplified um, summary of these two books of the Bible. There's God's space over here, and there's people's space over here. And God is holy, and what's over here is common. And it draws this very distinct line between what is clean and what is unclean, what is holy and what is unholy. And Exodus does a really good job of kind of delineating what is clean and what is unclean for us, what is holy and what is unholy, and it makes that line crystal clear. And then Leviticus tells us all these rules and hoops and kind of things we have to jump through to have this thing called atonement, which basically makes something that's unclean, clean. that makes something that's common be able to go from this space into God's space. And we see this dichotomy, this differentiation of clean and unclean, and I think for most of us, okay, especially maybe if you grew up in like a holiness church like I did, right, but but maybe to some degree you have this idea that you are not clean, that there's something broken in you, and that's not completely wrong, but I think it's something that we all struggle with, is am I good enough? To go into God's space. You know, in, in, in the books of the law, it talks about this idea that, like, they had to put a fence around the mountain where God's presence was because if anybody touched the mountain in their unholiness, they would die. That if anybody would go into God's presence in their unholiness, they would just, like, fall over dead because God's holiness was, was so, so much purer than our commonness or uncleanness. And, and I, think, I think this is part of what it means to be holy. I, don't get me wrong. I think, I think we should strive to live holy lives, to be free from sin, to be free uh, and separate from the things of the world, the things that are evil. But I think that is only a partial picture of holiness. And the law does paint that picture for us. But then Jesus does something really weird. Okay, because we, we, for all of the New Testament, there's God's space and there's man's space. There's holy space and there's unholy space. And for some reason, Jesus brings heaven, brings the holy space of God into our space. And he inserts himself amongst the most unholy people you can imagine. And that takes everything I know about what holiness is and it turns it on its head because it doesn't make sense that a holy God could insert himself in such an unholy space among such an unholy people. And it makes me think, man, I'm missing something about what it means that Jesus is holy. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was the spotless lamb. He didn't commit any sin while he was on the face of the earth or ever and, and he was holy in that sense, but he surrounded himself with things that were very unclean, with people who were very ceremonially unclean. And he does this on purpose over and over again. And it, it kind of takes everything that I understand about what it means for me to be a good person or for me to be a holy person or a sinless person, and it kind of turns it on its head. And so tonight I want to help us to maybe have a bigger definition of what it means to be holy or consecrated to the Lord. And maybe we can, we can look at some, some of the things that Jesus did, some of the things that Jesus was. Because I think if there's ever a model that we could look to, it's Jesus. Now, I want to go ahead and just kind of get this out of the way. I realize, right, my example of being like Jesus, some of you are going to go, oh, yeah, that's unattainable. Like, he was Jesus. I'm just not even going to try. And I, I want to I push back for just a second and say this. Jesus came to be a model for us to show us a new way to live. And so I, I think it's, um, it's out of hand for us to just say, well, I just can't be like Jesus because he was Jesus. I think our intention should be to be a follower of Jesus, saying whatever way that Jesus walked, I want to walk. And so tonight I want us to look at, at how Jesus walked and what it looked like for him to live a holy life. Now, we see very early on, that Jesus understands why he was sent to earth. His parents, they, they lose him coming out of Jerusalem, and uh, they find him in the temple. And they, he, he replies, of course, don't you know I would be about my father's business? So like from an early age, we realize that Jesus understood the sole purpose for his existence was to serve the plan of the Father. And so we should assume that everything that Jesus did, he did as one who was consecrated For a specific purpose and for a specific task. That his entire life had been set aside for a specific calling that the Lord had called him to do. And we see Jesus acting and living with such purpose. And there's some things that I think we can take away from this. And I want to go through those really quickly. And and maybe this will paint a picture of what it looks for us to live a consecrated life. If we are to live lives consecrated like Jesus, we must give ourselves away. I want you to think about this. Now, Jesus is perfect, Jesus is sinless, and Jesus, he's all-powerful, and he doesn't really need anything from anybody. In fact, if anyone could be an island unto themselves, it was Jesus. Instead, Jesus picks these 12 guys. I know Richard talked to you guys last week about Jesus' selection of his disciples. But Jesus picks these guys, and he doesn't just pick these guys but he invites them into his space. Okay, now, I don't think I need to define what I mean there, but you know what it's like to let someone really into your life. Like, there are people that your acquaintances with, you keep them at arm's length, and like, okay, maybe like if they text you, you'll be polite enough to make up an excuse for why you didn't reply. But then there are people that you let in your space, people that you give the opportunity to potentially affect your life. I've always described it this way. Like, if Jesus were on earth doing his ministry today, I think it would look like 12 young adults packed into a 12-passenger van, like, road tripping across Judea. That's literally, like, what they did. They, they, they were together all the time. Like, okay, how many of you remember your first roommate's? right? Listen, for some of you, having a roommate is like culture shock, right? Because roommates, they don't pick up after themselves. And like, I remember when my wife was a student, uh, she lived with some other students and, you know, she would like hide her dishes under her bed because her roommates would use her dishes and then leave them dirty in the sink and never wash them. So she just like hid everything from her roommates because, and listen, roommates fight and you are, because here's the thing, when people are in your space, It's not always easy to live with them. Jesus did not need to invite these 12 men into his space. But he invited them in anyways. In fact, we see one of Jesus' last interactions with one of his 12. He's on the cross and he looks at John and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. That that John was so much a part of Jesus' life that while Jesus is dying on the cross, he asks John, to take care of his mom. Jesus gave himself away. He did not keep his life bottled up. He didn't live with a life full of secrets where he kept people at arm's length. But anything that Jesus was, he imparted into the people that were around him. He gave himself away fully and completely for the cause that God had called him He loved deeply and meaningfully. He even loved Judas, who would one day betray him. He gave himself away for the purposes that God had called him for. Secondly, if we are going to be consecrated like Jesus, we have to first find a role model and be a role model. Now, this is, I think, something that we miss in the modern church, and and maybe you guys are going to get tired of me talking about this. It's one thing to read the Bible and talk about theological ideas, which I really love to do, right? So I'll discuss the Bible and theology as long as you want to. It's another thing to see what it looks like to really live that way. Listen, one of the things that really impressed me by Chi Alpha when I was young is it was one of the first times that I had seen people my age who were actually trying to live out the things the Bible says. Because that's the difficult part. It's one thing to understand it. It's another thing to see it fleshed out. And Jesus, he inserts himself into our world. He inserts himself into the disciples' life and says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you really love me, you'll do the things that you see me doing. He modeled for them what it looked like to live out this new type of holiness. I think oftentimes, like, we really want to serve Jesus, but, like, we don't know what it looks like right now. Like, sometimes, I'll just be honest, sometimes, like, I really want to know the will of the Lord, and I feel like God is silent. And I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do in this moment to make the right decision? How, how am I supposed to do this, God? Jesus clearly Set himself up to be a person that his disciples would model themselves after. But here's the crazy thing what church history and church tradition tells us is it didn't stop with Jesus, that Jesus' disciples did the same thing for others. And they became a model that others would follow. Because being a follower of Jesus and and being holy isn't about knowing the right things, and it's not about being set apart from sin it's about having a life that's set towards something. How do I know if I'm really giving my all to Jesus? How do I know how to balance my family responsibilities and my school responsibilities or my job responsibilities and my love for God and my desire to serve him? And what does that really look like? And I think without a good model to follow, it's going to be hard for us to figure that out. And I think if someone has provided a model for us, then we ought to be a model for them because this is what we see Jesus doing during his time on the earth. And then, uh, lastly, I think if we're going to live consecrated lives, we have to learn to see every task as a discipleship opportunity. You know, there are a lot of weird things that Jesus told his disciples to do. I think the one thing that would be the hardest is when he's like, hey, go into this town, and there's going to be this young colt that no one's ever ridden on, and you're just going to supposed to take it and bring it to me. If anybody asks, just says, the master has need of it. Like, what would you do if I told you to do that? What if I said, hey, guys, there's a scooter over there next to TC. Y'all go get it for me and bring it back. If anybody just asks, be like, yeah, my pastor said he needed it. Like, some of the things Jesus asked his disciples to do, they seem like weird tasks. They seem odd. But what we see is that everything that Jesus does is intentional because he knows his purpose on earth. And so Jesus is intentional with the things he asks his disciples to do. Jesus does not set himself up to be a rock star prophet or pastor. In fact, as Jesus' ministry goes on, It becomes less about crowds coming to him and more about his disciples going out and doing the work. It becomes less about Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick and more about his disciples casting out demons and healing the sick. It becomes more about his ability to delegate things to other people than about his ability to do those things on his own. Jesus knew that that every time he did something, from the first miracle when he turned water into wine to the time that he calmed the sea, that everything he was doing was a discipleship opportunity. I mean, what was Peter thinking getting out of that boat? What, what on earth makes Peter think that he can walk on water? Well, Jesus was teaching him something, even in that moment, what it looked like to follow Jesus, even when it seemed weird, that, that every moment, everything that Jesus did was a discipleship opportunity. And I think, to be honest, if we were to cut out the parts of scripture, the, the, the lessons and the nuggets that come from Jesus sitting around the table with his 12, like we would lose the best parts of scripture. The best teachings of Jesus are not the ones where he's speaking to multitudes. It's when he's sitting alone with people and people's Say bonehead things, and he says something like, "Peter, Satan, get behind me." It's this moment of correction that really turns into a discipleship opportunity. Jesus. Jesus used every opportunity as a discipleship opportunity. Now I know for some of you, you're like, "Well, where are you getting all this from?" and, and you haven't even read the scripture to us. Well, we're we're gonna get there in just a minute. In in Luke, chapter nine, I'm gonna start in verse. 57, if you want to read along with me. In, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those who are at home. This is what I want to focus on tonight. Verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back, and who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, just a little context. In the Jewish world, one of the greatest responsibilities of a son is to make sure that his father has an honorable burial. And so for Jesus to tell this young man that going to bury your father is not a good excuse for not following me, Jesus is making a monumental statement. Jesus is erasing all doubts about any excuses we could ever have. Jesus makes this statement. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit. The idea here is that, obviously, if you're plowing, I know that we don't live in an agrarian society, but the concept is if if you're plowing, the idea is to go in a row. And if you're not focused on where you're going, you're going to get off track. And if you're not willing to be focused on what you're here for, then you're not worthy to put your hand to the plow in the first place. And this is harsh. And to be honest, sometimes, sometimes Jesus has these interactions with people. and I'm like, no, Jesus, be nice to them. Don't make them run away. Offer them free coffee. People like coffee and pizza and stuff. But Jesus is like, no, guys, hey, listen, He's like, if you come with me, you're going to be homeless. So what he says. If you come with me, all social obligations go to the back. Even burying your father is less important than following me. You know, I think one of the things we really do struggle with in, in this idea of consecrating our lives to Jesus is how do we balance all of our other responsibilities? You guys ever felt like you were struggling to find balance? I'll let you in on a secret. Balance is a lie. It doesn't exist. Priorities. That's not real. It's priority. There can only be one priority. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, either you're going to follow me. Jesus is on a trek to Jerusalem at this point. Either you're going to follow me wholeheartedly or you're going to have nothing to do with me at all. Either you're going to consecrate yourself to this purpose, to this mission, to this thing. Or you can't follow me at all. And I know that's, that's kind of harsh, to be honest. And sometimes sometimes I read things and I go, man, I just I don't think people are going to like that, Jesus. I don't know why you said that, but you did. And you meant it. But Jesus did it. Jesus lived his entire life knowing that he had a singular purpose, and that was to do the will of the Father, to serve the will of the Father who had sent him. We shouldn't think that, that the struggles we have between our own responsibilities or allegiances or priorities or ambitions are new or unique to us. You are not the first person that had to balance serving the Lord, and your schoolwork, or your parents, or your job. Still, we struggle with this, and we struggle with this aspect of consecration. Listen, none of you are ever going to be perfect. If, if holiness is only defined as not sinning and not doing wrong things, you will all fail in this life but there's this other part of holiness that I think Jesus is getting at here. This other part of consecration is this, that consecration, it's not about what I'm set apart from. Consecration is more about what I'm set apart to. That my holiness is not defined by whether or not I've sinned today my holiness is defined on what my focus is on. It is my focus on following Jesus or is my focus on some other ambition or priority that I have manufactured for myself. Holiness, being a consecrated Christian, living a consecrated life, is about being wholly devoted to watching Jesus and just going wherever he goes. about this idea of being covered in the dust of our rabbi. That we would walk so closely behind Jesus that we would be covered in the dust wherever he goes. That we would be so singularly focused in what we do. That's what it means to live a consecrated life. And to be honest, I think think back to my conversation with Riley. When she's sitting there disappointed in herself because she Messed up, and she mixed up Esau and Jacob, and she she left out part of the story, and she's kind of beating herself up. And I just thought to myself, you know, and I wish there were more adults who are more consecrated to the idea that that I need to serve Jesus even in my free time. You know, I think I think there are probably a lot of people who would say they're followers of Jesus kind of like these people uh, in Luke 9 who who said they wanted to follow Jesus that they, they say they're followers of Jesus but if the cross of Christ fell in their lap they probably wouldn't pick it up they probably wouldn't lift a finger to actually do the things that Christ has called us all to do in his word Living a consecrated life is just simply saying yes. You know, I'm proud of my daughter because she gave, what, 30 minutes of her day, her free time at school? Listen, what if, what if, listen, I'm not even talking about consecrating your entire life. What What if you consecrated like one hour of your day for the Lord? You guys maybe are familiar with the concept of a tithe, right? Tithe is 10%, you give 10% of your money to God, right? That seems a reasonable amount. What if you said, Lord, I'm going to consecrate my life to you, and I'm going to give you 10% of my life? And don't get me wrong, Jesus wants all of your life. But what if, what if you said, Jesus, I'll give you 10% of my life? That's what, like 18 hours a week? Give or take. I think it's like 17.3 or something. I'm really bad at math. Yeah, whatever he said. Jesus is calling us to live a consecrated life. Again, I think this is hard for us because in a lot of our minds, we have a hard time getting away from this definition of holiness and consecration that, that has to do with not being wrong, with not sinning, with being clean, and I, I, I know that we're probably going to struggle with that. I'm probably going to struggle with that till the day that I see Jesus face to face. But oftentimes, our view of consecration, it has to do with that theme of guilt. And even when it comes to doing the things that we're supposed to be set apart to, it's almost like we do them because we know we have to, and we're motivated by guilt or shame because we're not doing enough. And even if you do that i again it's i'd rather you, I'd rather you serve Jesus out of guilt than not serve Jesus at all, okay So like they'll say, well, I'm just not going to serve anymore because my heart's not in it well but but I think we all really struggle with this idea, and we it's not that we don't want to be consecrated, but it's like every time we try, we're just not good enough. in Joshua chapter three, you know these people have obviously heard the teachings of Moses, and Moses has just passed away, and Joshua uh, is getting ready to lead them across the river Jordan. Uh, God's about to stop the river so they can walk through on dry land, and he's told uh, Joshua his plan. And so in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua goes and he tells the people this. He says, and then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the, the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecration is not about what I can do. It's not about how holy I can be. It's not about how separate from the world I can be. It's it's not about how much worldliness I can avoid, which I think that's going to be part of it. But consecration is about making ourselves ready, about making our focus ready for what God is about to do. It's not about you doing it. He didn't say, consecrate yourselves and then go build a dam on the Jordan River tomorrow so we can cross. It's not about consecrate yourselves and make sure you give 15 hours a week to serving Jesus through Chi Alpha. That that when we consecrate ourselves, we're simply saying, Jesus, I'm available. You are my priority. I'm looking forward to see what you're going to do. I'm looking for opportunities to be a role model to someone. I'm looking for opportunities to make every moment a discipleship moment. I'm looking for these opportunities where I can give myself away. What would happen If everyone in this room, maybe this isn't realistic, but what would happen if everyone in this room made a decision that Jesus was going to be the most important thing in their life? More important than homework, schoolwork, whatever ambitions, maybe you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something great, I don't know. More important than your parents' expectations of you. More important than that guy or girl that you really want to impress. What would happen... If a group of people like this truly consecrated themselves and said, Jesus, you are the priority. Jesus, you are the one and only thing that I desire. And I want to give myself fully to following you. Now, for a lot of you, if I ask the question tonight, will you choose to consecrate your life to Jesus? A lot of you, you already know in your mind what that looks like for you. You already know changes. You already know places where you have asked to follow Jesus with your conditions. And you know what conditions that you need to give up. For some of you, you're like, I don't really know what that's going to look like. Sounds good, but like, what does that mean? Well, here's the deal. I would just invite you. Come talk to me. Talk to your small group leader, one of our staff. We'll help you figure out what that looks like. Tonight I'm going to pray, and I I just want to close by asking you this one question. Is Jesus the most important thing in your life? Is serving Jesus your priority? Or have you come to him with your own list of demands and expectations? Let's pray. Lord, tonight... We confess that we need you. Lord, without you, we are unholy. We are unclean. Lord, like the prophet said, we are an unclean people with unclean lips who live in a land of uncleanness. Lord, there's nothing about us that's holy. But Lord, you inserted yourself into our unholiness and you are making us clean and you've invited us to consecrate our lives and follow you. Lord, would you set us apart for your service, for your kingdom, for your purposes. Lord, would you redeem the things that are common in our lives, like our free time, and redeem them for your glory and for the good of your kingdom, Lord. Lord, would you do what you need to do in our hearts to make you truly our our priority. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Kyolpha Podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Kyolpha, you can look us up online at Troykyalpha.com. You can email us at Troy at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy